0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. So turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And I want you to turn to chapter 26. We're going to be in 26 and chapter 27 this morning. We're, We're starting a brand new sermon series. And the title of that series is God's Prescription for Resolving regret and actually this series is going to go through the entire summer just about it should take us we'll have a couple of Sundays where we may have a guest speaker or a pastor in our church preaching but at the end of the day we should actually be able to enjoy this series through the rest of the summer and I'm really looking forward to building upon this message being our first message our introductory message and uh, to be honest I think the prescription for resolving regret will be intertwined in every single message although this one will be the introduction to all of that you know no one is perfect can we get that just right straight before we start including me no one is perfect and i think sometimes it's good for us to just recognize that we kind of prayed through that just a moment ago that, that no i'm actually not on the first point yet that's okay uh you can you can hang tight back up yeah good okay i'm almost there but not yet and uh, so the idea is that 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 is this, and I want you to, this is the first note, you can look at it on the screen, that the failure isn't, we all fall, we all fail, right? We're not perfect. The failure isn't ultimately in the falling. Because we all fall, we all fail. I mean, that's going to happen. It is, there is no way around that. Everybody in this room, that's the reason I began with that statement, no one is perfect, because uh, it's true, we all fail, we all fall. But ultimately, the Failure is not in the falling. The failure is often not learning to deal with the fallout of the falling. So what happens is we end up living our lives in regret. And we look back at what might have been, what could have been, if only I had. And what God has seen to us over these next few weeks, and, and beginning with this morning, through His Word and by His grace, is that we do not have to live like that. That we have a Father, a Heavenly Father, who loves us and who is ready and willing to pour His grace out upon our lives. His mercies are new every morning. And so this sermon is going to help us to deal with that. This series is going to help us to deal with the fallout of the falling. Because we all fail and we all fall. Now Matthew 26 and 27 is is an incredible passage of Scripture. Some of you may have recognized that when I mentioned it and, 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 and said, wow, there's so much there, I wonder what he's going to point out, because it is the Mount Everest of Bible narratives. There's absolutely no passage in Scripture that has more content that includes powerful, incredible, life-changing stories in it. The Garden of Gethsemane is in this portion of Scripture the trial of our Savior, the torture of our Savior, the account of the Last Supper, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is Matthew 26 and Matthew 27. So it is there that we will find ourselves today enjoying some of the richness of that narrative. Number one, now you're ready. Everyone has regrets. No one is perfect, not even me. Everyone has regrets. No one is perfect, not even me. And so right in the middle of this incredible passage of Scripture, Matthew 26 and Matthew 27, right in the middle of it, we find two particular men. Both of these men fall. One of these men denied Christ. One of these men betrayed Christ. But what they actually did is almost the exact same thing. At the end of the day, maybe you might agree with me that really betrayal is denial and denial is betrayal and so there's not much difference in what these two men did. They both made the most regrettable decision of their lives. One of these men that we're going to read about and study about this morning recovered. And when he recovered, he went on to do some some amazing things. He went to unforeseen heights. Not even he would have imagined. How God would have lifted him up and used him in such a great way based on what he had done. He got to a better place. And it could be said of him like it could be said of all of us this morning that better days are ahead, amen? Brighter days are ahead. And for him, that was true. But the other man, he did not recover. And he plunged deeper and deeper into his own ruin. One of these men was so well respected that even today we would respect him in such a way that we might even name our children after him. And I would not doubt that somebody here may bear his name. Others would have named their children this name, and yet others would know somebody who bears his name. Just such respect and revere for who he was and what he accomplished. Then the other... I have no doubt that nobody here in this building has his name. That nobody named their children this name or knows anyone who has his name. Now I want you to think with me for just a moment. They both did the same thing. They were both guilty of the same thing. But how they dealt with what happened to them makes them so different that 2,000 years later it would actually affect who and who we would not give their name how they handled their regret how they handled their failing how they handled their falling was so so different your life you see is not all about what's happened to you somehow we have drunk that kool-aid somehow somehow we have bought into this thing and i think culture has added to it that we are just a product of our failings and our fallings and and there's really nothing we can do about it but that is not true your life is not about what's happened to you your life is rather about how you choose to deal with the things in your life that you regret because everyone has regrets now another interesting thing about these two men is that what they did was prophesied by Jesus. Both of these men, before they did what they did, Jesus actually called it out. He spoke it in front of a multitude of people. It was prophesied. Let's begin with Judas found in Matthew 26 on the screen, verse 14, or there in your uh, open Bibles there. Then one of the twelve, verse 14, whose name was Judas Iscariot, he went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him? He was talking about Jesus. If I deliver him over to you. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an oh, opportunity to betray Jesus Christ. And on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? Some details here are given about this. Uh, So Jesus said, go to a certain man in the city, say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand, I'll keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, here it comes. Jesus speaks and says, Jesus prophesies, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. There it is. Later, at the very same meal in Matthew 26, at verse number 30, they sung a hymn and then they went to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, here it is. Pay close attention. Peter said this, Though they all fall because of you, I will never fall, Jesus. You don't have anything to worry about. I will never fall. Really, Peter? How about three times in the next 24 hours? Really? Never? So Jesus says, truly, truly I tell you, This very night, before the sun rises, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Both men's forsaking of Jesus is prophesied. Both men's betrayal, both men's denial is prophesied here in this passage. But the difference is how they dealt with it. That's the difference. I'm not completely into sports stories as much as I like sports. I love it. But I know sometimes in church it's difficult because not everyone connects with a sports story. Sometimes you don't know who in the world we're talking about or have no concern for sports at all. But somehow I feel like you might know the name Tiger Woods. You know, golf's an interesting game, isn't it? I'm not much of a golfer. I, 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 it takes so much time. to to get even decent at it, and I am so afraid and paranoid to golf with anybody because of my handicap, which is four digits. And so, anyway. And, uh, but, so, I'm thinking about golf in terms of this, just to give you an idea of what golf is, and you would know this, but, but golf's an interesting sport. To me, it's unlike anything, any other sport in all the world because there's no trash talking in golf. Like in football, I've heard that at, at, the, at the offensive line, the defensive line, that is a cesspool of sin. I mean, I mean people are trash talking one another the whole game. If you watch the Nets and, and, and the Bucks last night, we got the Bucks won. Anyway, and, uh, but if you watch that game last night, a lot of trash talking. I mean, all you've got to do is foul somebody and they're in your face, cussing you out, chest against chest. It is wild. The refs have to be trained just to be able to keep people away and call technical fouls every game because of trash talking golf's different golf's a gentleman's sport in fact in golf you know they they call their own penalties I mean, these guys, most of these guys, understand that. that, that you know, how odd would it be all of a sudden if a fight broke out on a golf course because somebody was trash talking somebody else? I mean, you might have it a little bit. In fact, I think a couple of golfers recently had a little something going on. It made like the front page of Sports Illustrated. I think they just looked at each other wrong or something. It was silly. I'm like, wow, you know, they made such a big deal because it's so strange. Even when guys make. Big time mistakes. Rarely do they ever do anything as crazy as throw their club or do something silly. They make a bad mistake and they just, they handle it differently. It's just the way the sport is. So back to Tiger Woods. You see, Tiger was an amazing golfer. He started off as a young lad trained by his dad and quickly became the greatest golfer. Literally, it seemed like, of all time. Majors in golf are hard to win. There's four a year, and Jack Nicklaus has won more than any other golfer. He had 18, and some said nobody would come close to ever winning 18 because second place was way down there until Tiger Woods came along, and by age 33, he had won 14. In fact, they said he probably will win 28 at the rate he is going. Nobody had ever seen anyone the likes of Tiger Woods. At age 33, he came within three wins of, uh, of, of, of surpassing Sam Sneed with most tournaments of all time, including majors and regular tournaments. He won 11 PGA Players of the Year. I mean, 11. I mean, I don't know, an NBA basketball guy wins one MVP and it's like unbelievable, two is incredible, three is like, who's got three? 11. He was the first athlete to make a billion Tiger Woods uh, at 33 years of age he reaches the pinnacle of his career until that summer it was revealed that over 15 prostitutes, models and porn stars came out and said that they've had an affair with Tiger Woods and that began what I would describe as the utter and total collapse of what seemed to be the greatest golfer of all time he never won again until 2012 and that wasn't a major and I think last year he won a major the first one which was amazing brought him up to 15 and then this year had some kind of crazy accident again he's injured and broke his leg and his life has just been a down a spiral going downward I'm wondering if Tiger Woods has just not learned to deal fallout of his failure so here's my question have you have you learned to deal with that and one of the most glorious things about christianity and one of the reasons why i'm so pumped to preach every sunday why i'm so full of 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 love and passion about the word of god is that the prescription for human failure and how to experience real grace and fully resolve things and move on with your life is found right here in the Word of God. It's all here. It's all here. Number two. In fact, that should have been on the screen. Did that get on the screen? One of the most glorious things? Now, where are we at? (laughs) There we are. All right. One of the most glorious things. I want you to get the notes there. Because I love that statement. I couldn't wait to say that. Because that, my friends, is what we're going to be coming back to over and over and over again. Number two, regrets are unavoidable, but you don't have to be ruined by them. I mean, are you living with some regrets today? How many of you would say, don't raise your hands, I'm just asking myself the same question. Believe me, I've had a head start on this, so I'm going to be transparent in just a moment. But how many of you uh, are living with some regrets today? Things you wish you could change. Yes. Things you wish you could erase. I should have graduated from high school. I should have finished college. I wish I hadn't quit. I wish I could go back and do things different. Why did I let someone treat me like that? Regret. I got too emotional. I got too involved. I got too close. I got too busy to see. I I made a, a regrettable career move. I made a regrettable health decision. It was the wrong friend at the wrong time. I didn't realize I wouldn't have another chance. My spouse, my kid... My team needed me, and I wasn't available. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't there. If only I wish. Regrets. Are you living with regrets? Now, if the answer to that question is yes, that makes you exactly like the rest of us because only a pathological liar believes that everything has gone exactly as planned. Only a pathological liar. And I stress that because I want everyone here to know that we're in the same boat. And that brings me to number three. That unresolved regrets are ruinous in life. In fact, I cannot think of any greater destructive force against you becoming everything God has for you and you experiencing the joy that comes from Jesus and from His love and from His grace. I would would imagine that, that, that it is regret That is the reason for it. The dictionary defines regret, and it's time for a a definition. I have these nearly every sermon, but at least every other sermon, and for sure every series. The dictionary definition of regret is sorrow over a fault or disappointment. To mourn or to look back on with distress. Wow. Last. 10 years I've been dealing with just looking back at this thing, maybe 20 years, for some it might be 30 years I've been dealing with this and it just continues to plague me and to haunt me and to bother me and to discourage me and to defeat me. Maybe it's something that happened this past week and it's just you're kind of surprised you're even here today. It was almost like, should I even go to church? Regret. I like this quote that our read years ago, and I have a little book of quotes called um, uh, Sermon Sentences. Here's a sermon sentence. The older I get, the more I realize how little I knew when I knew it all. Anybody else like that? I'm like that. I can tell you I would make some different choices. Sometimes I look back at some choices I made and think if only I knew then what I know now, it would have been different. So what I'd like to do now is dive into, first of all, the life of Peter in the text. I want you to notice chapter number 26. Again, as we go to God's Word, beginning in verse number 69. Let's start there. Here, the actual falling. Here, the actual failing comes. So Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. Now, just to give you a context of where we're at, Jesus had already been betrayed, in this passage he he had already been arrested he was in the hands of the rulers and Peter is hanging out in the courtyard he must not be too far away from the action because the Bible says as he's hanging out in the courtyard a servant girl comes up to him and says you also were with the Galilean and she points to Peter and she associates him with Jesus, verse 70. But he denied it before them all. He plays dumb. He says, I, I don't know what you mean. What are you talking about? Really, Peter? So Jesus got arrested. He's been dragged into this courtyard. Everybody is talking about it. It's The, it's, it, the hustle and bustle is all about what's happening at that moment with Jesus, really, you you don't know what she's talking about. It gets worse. And he went out to the entrance. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. He cursed. I don't know the blank man. Some sort of an expletive he uses. As he tries to disassociate himself And deny Christ for the second time And after a little while The bystanders came up and said to Peter Certainly you are You too are one of them Your accent betrays you You see Peter from, was from Galilee And they had a different accent there He was from he was a fisherman on the, From the north And so his accent was different I recognize that accent You're one of them and then he began to invoke a curse on himself, something like, on my mother's grave. I don't know the man. Really? So you don't remember the healings, Peter? Remember the feeding of the 5,000? You were, you were there. Well, what about on that mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, where he was transfigured right before your very eyes? Ah, Peter, what about the walking on the water? You, You don't know him? The same mouth that said, Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, cursing that same name. If you go on to read the rest of that passage, I do not know the man, and immediately... The rooster crowed. Now just for a moment, if we could stop there and borrow from the Gospel of Luke. Let's go to Luke in chapter number 22 because Luke adds a very incredible detail to the story that I think you need to hear. So verse 60 says, But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, here it is again, the rooster crowed. Now, I could have a little fun and say, let's do some sound effects, but you don't look like you're in the mood today. <laughs> so we'll leave that off, okay? Now, apparently, right at this moment, the rooster is about to crow, and right at this moment, Jesus must have been moving. Maybe moving from where he was persecuted to go to a trial or something. But he was moving. They were dragging him through that same courtyard, maybe from the place, like I said, where he was persecuted, which, by the way, when we went to Israel, we we actually got to go to the house of Caiaphas and see this exact place and where he went. And that courtyard where that rooster crowed, they really, oftentimes they're not for sure, but this place they were very sure. And here's the heartbreak. Here's the heartbreak. Jesus, his eyes meet Peter. And there is Jesus with his face beaten, his beard t- torn out, spit coming down his face, his back's in shreds. And Peter, who loved Jesus deeply and was so sure that he would never deny him, denies him three times. Shortly after, he said he never would. Verse 61. And then the Lord turns as soon as that rooster crows and looks at Peter. And Peter remembered. Peter remembered, yeah, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Oh. Oh, how could I have done that? I can't believe I've done this. I loved him so much, and here I've, I've, I've cursed his name. But Peter makes a decision in that moment. And the Bible says in verse 62 that he went out and wept bitterly. If you study that word weeping there, that's more than just a couple of tears. The word weeping there is the word for slobbering, shoulder-heaving, heartbroken by himself. How could I have done this I never wanted to if Peter hadn't dealt with it it would have ruined his life now notice Matthew 27 notice in the next chapter verse 1 when morning came all the chief priests and the elders of the people to counsel against Jesus to put him to death And they bound him, and they led him away, and they delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Apparently, Judas was in the same crowd watching as well. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. Judas, you knew what you were doing. You're not surprised, are you? I mean, you knew they wanted to kill him. You knew what they wanted to do. That's why you offered to betray him with a kiss. But have you ever made a decision where people said, I don't think you should do that. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think things are going to work out well if you make that decision. Or maybe this, I I actually think you're going to live to regret that. Have you ever done it anyway? And then thought, I'll beat the odds. Okay, I know know what they said, but but, but, but it's going to be different for me. You know, I'll cut some corners. I'll find a way. I think I can rescue it somehow, some way, only to find out that, that what they said was right and what you thought was wrong. That's where we're at. We're at a critical moment. Peter saw Jesus and repented. Peter saw Jesus and wept bitterly. Judas, his betrayer, sees Jesus. Sees that he's condemned. We are at a very critical moment. The falling, the failing cannot be avoided. It is inevitable and it's what I do in that moment that will determine everything else. So notice the choices that are made here. Let's look at them, shall we? Matthew chapter number 27 in verse 3. This is pretty rough. This is pretty rough. And when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. Now we'll come back to that in just a minute. I'm going to come back to that right there, but hang on he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and to the elders, verse 4, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Well, that's Judas. But hang on, hang on. That's Judas, but but wait a minute. Let, Let me remind you, they both did the same thing. They both felt bad about their failure. They both felt bad. They did. Peter felt bad and Judas felt bad both of them felt bad but it's what they did next it's when you come to that place with your regret you feel bad about it but what are you going to do next and that's what the sermon series is all about that's why I'm going to be preaching you can put that on the screen God's prescription for resolving regret this is what this is all about It's all about what do we do when we come to those moments where we've fallen because we're going to fall, where we fail because we're going to fail. What do we do when we come to that moment where we actually feel bad about it, where we actually recognize it probably wasn't the best thing to do? Some of us have not done the right thing about the wrong thing. And I want that to change over the next few weeks, if not today. Number four. Regrets are unavoidable. But you don't have to be ruined by them if you resolve them. That's number four. And so, one of the things that I often share with our congregation is just what has been my experience as pastor of one church over 29 years and sometimes i i just for for the sake even of of those listening today who may need to hear this maybe today your marriage is struggling i want to say this about struggling marriages in our church that are being ruined because of regret your marriages are not being ruined because of The little bumps in the road that happened this week or a little argument this week that you worked through or little problems or little financial, it's things in the past that have never been resolved. And so the fallout from that remains to plague and hurt you things that aren't discussed. If we try to, so, so what we do is we try to cover it up like it's not there or we just get prideful and we say, well, it's not my fault and what's wrong with you and I can't believe you feel that way. I didn't mean that. Get over it. These are some of the things that I hear as I, as I deal with marriages that are suffering because of unresolved regrets. And sometimes this goes on for months and years, and it's never fixed. And again, I want to announce that did you know that Christianity is the only faith in the world that offers the grace of God and the sea of forgetfulness as far as the East is from the West, a new page and a complete resolution. We're, this is it. You'll not find any faith in the world like this one. It's amazing. No wonder I can preach with such enthusiasm and energy every week. This is amazing. The grace of God, the mercies of God are new every morning. Peter took it, Judas didn't. Number five, unresolved regrets are damning in eternity. Now, I want to share something with you as we move through the text again. I want to go back to Matthew 27, 3, be very very, uh, sensitive to this part of the text. Then when Judas' betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned, He changed his mind. Now that's an interesting statement. My translation that I'm using this morning says he changed his mind. I want to take just a moment and, and ask for some crowd participation as the Lord would lead you, if you don't mind. Nothing embarrassing here. We're just having maybe, you know, moments like this sometimes preachers will make it a little lighter as we've kind of entered into a heavy subject here, but... I'd like to know, other than, and I have a reason for saying this, other than the King James this morning, and I'll come to the King James in just a moment, but if you have something else other than what I have, would you be as so kind as just to raise your hand and tell me what else you have? Okay. Hayden? Yeah, tell me what it says. Instead of changed his mind, it says what? Filled with remorse. Okay, good. So he's filled with remorse. Someone else from another translation other than changed his mind filled with remorse again if you have a king james hang on anybody else got something else anything real quick we had another one okay good Craig seized with remorse perfect i had those two this morning as well very helpful now let's stop here just for a moment and and talk about that that word in the greek because the king james says that he repented himself the word there the greek word there is the word metanoia. Now, I'm not, I, I very rarely ever enter the Greek or the Hebrew into a Sunday morning setting, but for just a moment, if you would allow me to do that, the word metanoia, that word is translated, he felt remorse. That word is translated, he was seized with remorse or repented. Now, do you know why it doesn't say repent? Why the translators in the other versions that we looked at why it doesn't say repent here's why because we believe that when you repent when a person repents they change and judas is going to end up doing something that is very clearly evident of the fact that he did not repent and so the correct translation here of the word metanoia is he changed his mind that's exactly what is what it means You see, repentance is a lot more than just mental. Repentance, in addition to it being mental, is also emotional and volitional. And Judas did make a decision to feel bad. But all Judas did is say, I wish I didn't do that. Maybe I should have gotten more money. I mean, it really wasn't worth it. I regret it because of the fallout it caused. This was shallow, superficial repentance that did not free him from regret. It was sorry me. Sorry I look bad. Sorry for what this cost me. Not sorry God. Not sorry people I hurt. Sorry me. And that was the difference between Peter and Judas. Judas though they both felt bad so many are trapped in a cycle of sin confess sin confess sin confess sin confess sin confess and you don't really change it's just sin confess sin confess sin confess there's no true repentance and change of heart i'm sorry for the fallout it's not the resolution of my sin Sorry for the fallout. Sorry for the friends I lost. Sorry for the moment. Wishing you hadn't done it for only selfish reasons does not resolve regret. Now notice Matthew 27 and verse 5. Sadly, he turns his self-centeredness even further and deeper upon himself. Notice, throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And I say this very sadly and very seriously that he went out and killed himself he came to that fork in the road he felt bad but what he did is he just went out and killed himself if you're here this morning and your regret has turned into anything that potentially would cause you to feel like taking your life somehow some way we can be we can buy into this thought that our family would be better off if we were not alive, and that is not true. Your family would be devastated. I don't believe that suicide is the unpardonable sin at all. It's not, there's no Bible to back that up. I'm simply saying that sometimes selfishness, unrelenting, when exposed, goes so quickly to despair and despair, when nourished and fed with negative thoughts, can take people to some pretty desperate places. And so for that reason, I contacted our elders this week in our meeting. And I just felt compelled to ask each elder, and, and, and I did it in a very heavy way. And I told them, I said, guys, I don't want you to make yourself available if you're not ready for somebody to talk to you about struggling with thoughts that maybe they'd be better off to just take their life. If you have those thoughts, I want you to know, after the service, I'm available for as long as you need to talk. Our elders are here. Doug is here. Jeremy is here. Dave will talk. Butch, Tony. Don't go on thinking those thoughts without getting someone to talk to you, without getting some help, without getting someone to pray with you about that. Suicide is the most selfish decision a person can make. We all need clarity of genuine repentance. And that is the difference between Peter and Judas. Genuine repentance. Now, there's five common ruinous regrets. And if if I could take just a moment and cover some of these so that maybe we can all identify ourselves. Because I'll be honest with you, if I could just share this in a transparent way. I think, looking back, as I studied that passage, I thought, Eric, has there ever been a time in your life where you kind of thought, well, maybe it's not worth it? And I answered yes. That thought never got fed. It never went to total despair. But I can assure you, there have been times where I kind of wondered, you know, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I've been there. And identified some of the common ruinous regrets that can take us there. The first one I wanna point out, and it's on the screen, is an overconfident youth. Who hasn't been that at some point, right? I'll beat the odds. My foolish, youthful regrets. I broke the law, I drank it off, I made a choice, I got addicted, I had an abortion, I committed adultery, I committed assault, That's just the A's. I mean, can you imagine if we went through the entire alphabet of sins that we could all say, yep, 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 I... That was me. Yes, I was there. At the end of the day, sometimes we do, as young people, sow some wild oats. And our overconfident youth can at times be ruinous if we're not careful. Secondly, an unheeded warning... That's a common, ruinous regret. Someone tells you not to do something, and you do it anyway. I can get away with it. I'm young. I've got time. It's no big deal. I won't get caught. Number three, an irreversible choice. Man, I made the decision, but I had no idea it would take me here. Don't ever forget that sin will always take you farther than you wanted to go. And sin will always cost you far more than you ever wanted to pay. Number four, a forsaken family. For me, I must tell you that as I read the words of Job, I I can relate to a forsaken family to an extent as a regret In verse 1, Job took up this discourse. He was pretty down. He was at a bad place. And he said, oh, that I I were in months of old. I I wish I could just relive my life. I wish I could go back as in the days when God watched over me. When his lamp shone upon my head and by his light I walked through darkness. I wish I could just go back to those days. When I was in my prime. When the friendship of God was right there when the Almighty was with me, and here it is, if I could just go back when my children were all around me, if I could just go back and have a chance to be a dad again on this Father's Day, I would do things differently. I wouldn't work so much. I wouldn't be away so much. And I know there's been times in my life where I have had to make some serious changes in my life. I had to repent of of not being there for my family, of of being so caught up. And I remember growing up, there was this famous preacher who gave this ridiculous illustration. And at the time, we all thought it was fantastic because he said that he asked his son, son, should I go save America or spend time with you? And his son at age like seven said, dad, go save America. And his son went to jail, committed adultery, was caught doing all kinds of awful things, crazy things, and marrying, divorce, marry, divorce, marry, divorce, marry, divorce, divorce. He saved America, but he lost his son. And somehow we think that's okay. Actually, he didn't save America, but he tried. And I think there was a time when I thought, I'm doing good things. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching for other people. I just got missed out on some of my kids growing up. And I can relate to Paul when my children were all around me. A common regret. I should have prioritized my family. I should have made my kids of higher importance. So let me say this. Do whatever you have to do to get back with your your kids so that you can have some influence in what they become. Can I say by the grace of God, that's what I did. I did it. I'm still living with some regret that I have to constantly give to God when it creeps into my life. Amen. I, I give it to God and, and I, over, I resolve that by, by what I'm going to be preaching this summer. Much of what I'm preaching for the next six weeks is just my life. It's, it's what I've learned. It's, it's how I, I, I continue to go with, on with mistakes that I've made. I don't make an apology that many of the decisions I've made in my life so that I could spend more time with my kids. I don't make an apology that many of the changes we made in our church was for the younger generation. I was criticized for that like crazy. He's just making all those changes for his kids. Answer? Yeah. Uh-huh. I just decided, you know what? As I get older, I don't want to be that grumpy guy that just says, bless God, this is the way we've always done it. If you don't like it, you can lump it. The door swings both ways. Of course, Vince Russo helped me because he's 72 and still jams on an electric guitar. 73. Oh, sorry, 73, I'm sorry. Don't cheat you out of a year. <laughs> I mean, Vince is shredded it downtown Saturday night at 73. Doesn't mean he doesn't like the old hymns. He does. He loves them. He loves old music. He loves old things because he's old. No, Anyway, and uh <laughs> Vince and I are tight, but Vince also loves young people, loves youth, loves a young church, loves to be around. Hey, can I tell you something? Do whatever you have to do. You say, well, Brother Eric, wait a minute now. You mean sin? Come on, you know me better than that. Don't sin, but forgive what you have to forgive. Drop what you have to drop. Change what you have to change. Don't sin. But do whatever it takes. You won't regret it. Number five is neglected faith. Neglected faith. You know, I'm alarmed today at how many are choosing to neglect their faith. In these days that we live in, can I say something about 2021? Lest anyone wonder how I feel about it? It's fantastic! This is a good day! Yes, but if you watched Fox News this week, I'll tell you, this law got passed and the nation's this and the president's this. Well, you see, I serve King Jesus. And I, I get it. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things going on around us that I'm not too happy about. And I could talk about that every Sunday and we could walk out of here and, and, and determine we're going to be patriots and die on this soil for our nation. And I'm willing to do that if that's what I need to do, like those in my, some of my forefathers. But can I tell you something? I serve a victorious king who predicts and prophesies the falling of nations so that the kingdom of God can come and we can rule and reign with King Jesus in charge. Amen. So I think sometimes we just get depressed and discouraged and spend our days watching evening news as opposed to reading about our victorious King Jesus who says, today is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What a novel idea. Don't neglect your faith. What a God we serve. This is a good day. This is a day to be thankful. This is a day to move forward. This is a day to Repent. Christianity is the single faith in the world that provides for the true resolution of all regret and allows us to move out of the darkness of it should have been, it might have been. I love poetry. I used to write it all the time, I used to read it all the time. One of my favorite poets was John Greenleaf Whittier. He's got some great stuff. If you've never read the poem, Maud, Moeller. It's one of the greatest poems he ever wrote it's one of many he was a poet who died in 1892 an american poet honestly strangely enough on this weekend he was a strong abolitionist he was a strong opponent of slavery he wrote this poem "Maud moeller which i don't have time to read the whole poem but i encourage you to read it it's amazing you've got to read it slow and you've got to meditate it's a great story it's the story of a man who met a woman He met her on his horse going through a town and she gave him a glass of water. She was dressed kind of rough and she was a farm girl so her feet were really dirty and she didn't look the part. As he rode off on the horse, this little lady looked at him and thought, I would love to marry a judge, to be a good wife, to serve him, to make sure he could do what he's called to do. He'd come home and to a clean house and be spoiled by me. I'd love that. The judge looked back on his horse at the lady and said, I'd like to live on a farm. I'd love to be able to just go home every night and eat vegetables and have a sweet, kind wife like that woman who just gave me a glass of water and I didn't even ask for it. Time went on. The lady married. She married a man who didn't take care of her, didn't care for her very much, didn't do her very good. She lived a hard life. The man went off to get married, the judge did, and he married a lady who only married him for his money. And so at the end of the poem, you come to the most famous words of any John Greenleaf or poem. I'll just read you a portion. Alas for maiden, alas for judge, for rich repiner and household drudge. God pity them both. God pity us all. Who vainly the dreams of youth recall. For all sad words of tongue or pen. The saddest of these is. It might have been. It might have been. So crushing to the joy that God has for you, to free you from, it might have been. And so I close with this. Regret free living, it might have been. Regret free living is possible. Amen. In fact, if I could sum up my whole sermon with this thought. Regrets are unavoidable, But you don't have to be ruined by them if you resolve them while you can and don't let them take you to despair. Welcome to your summer sermon series. That's it. That's what we're going to dive into. Yes, they're unavoidable. But you don't have to be ruined by them if you resolve them while you can and don't let them take you to despair. Well, church... Let's fast forward to John chapter 21. Peter, he didn't do so well for a while. He went back to fishing. Oh yeah, he, he just was spiraling. He's on the Galilee shore fishing near his house one day. and He wasn't having much luck, but didn't catch a thing. I'm guessing maybe he smelled some fish, Brother Kevin. And he looked on the shore and here was this man standing from afar who yelled out, Hey lads! Have you caught any fish? John said, Peter. Peter looked on the shore and recognized it was the voice of Jesus. Peter jumps out of that boat gets to run through that water. If you've ever ran through water that's knee high, man, you've got to get your legs up high. And its He didn't stop. I can see, see Peter getting to Jesus, and I'm reading somewhat a little bit into the narrative. He gets to Jesus. He embraces him. He hugs him. He kisses him. He remembers the last time he saw Jesus. But this time it was different. He knew that things weren't the way that they should be, but they could be. they had the best meal of their lives they cut up a little bit I'm sure and finally Jesus says hey Pete you want to take a walk Jesus and Peter go walking down the shores of Galilee and they're just chatting and Peter Jesus interrupts and says hey Pete you love me Jesus says okay then I'm going to watch your life for about three years and we're going to see if you really meant it it's going to be hard but Pete faith that you've given us. May we not neglect it. May we, God, not live in the past but embrace today as the first day of the rest of our lives. May we walk with you and talk with you. May we hear you ask us this morning, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Feed my sheep. Thank you, God, for your grace. Pour it over us this morning. Hold us and make us and take our mistakes and turn them into incredible tools that we can use to help others live a regret-free life. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?